Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's September 25th, 2020, and that means there's just three months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a charitable act that millions do every Christmas, feeding the hungry. And we'll have the specialist of special guests. We'll also count down the top five comic book Christmas movies. We'll have a listener review of It's a Wonderful Life. And we've got the next chapter of our made-for-podcast Christmas movie, A Bomb for Christmas. Okay, let's start the show! Greetings, you old believers! Welcome to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babb, coming to you from the Christmas Cave. Now that we're deep in September, the Christmas season is just around the corner, which is good because we could use some Christmas spirit right now. In fact, let's get things started with our first segment today Five Golden Things. Like I mentioned in the opening, today is September 25th, which, if you're not a nerd, you may not know, is Comic Book Day. So, for today's five golden things, I thought I'd combine my love of comic book movies and Christmas movies and count down the top five Christmas comic book movies. Let's get things started. Comic Book Christmas Movies, assemble! 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 Number five. Superman the Movie. They can be a great people, Kyle. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good, I have sent them you, my only son. Now, I know what you're saying. He can't actually hear what I'm saying. That's not how podcasts work. And you're right. But I'm pretty sure you're thinking that the 1978 Superman movie is not a Christmas movie. That is, of course, unless you heard me a little while back on the Totally Rad Christmas podcast when I talked about how this is technically a Christmas movie. It was released on December 15th, which officially qualifies it as a Christmas release. Yes, I believe it was even in the marketing. It was, yeah. Uh, Also, it's about a guy who wears a lot of red, who lives in the (laughs) North Pole, and flies all the way around the world. <laughs> you know what? I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to see it. <laughs> Not only that, uh, what do we celebrate at Christmas? The birth of Jesus. Or it's how true. someone sent their only son to Earth <laughs> to save us all. See? Feel silly now, don't you? No? All right, look. I'll be real with you. I kind of fell in love with the idea of doing a top five list of comic book Christmas movies. But as I started to put it together, I realized there aren't five solid examples of comic book Christmas movies. Some kind of stretch and like I'm Mr. Fantastic. But you know what? We're going to make it work because I will 
find any excuse to talk about the superhero movie that started it all. Richard Donner, Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Marlon Brando, 1978 Superman the movie. Basically, I want this to count as a Christmas movie because I want the John Williams Superman theme to count as a Christmas carol. Number four. Once Upon a Deadpool. Captain for Marvel movies. We are Marvel. Yeah, but you're, you know, Marvel licensed by Fox. It's like if the Beatles were produced by Nickelback. It's music, but it sucks. So this one is definitely not for the kids. Even though this alternate cut of Deadpool 2 is edited to make the movie PG-13, they still manage to keep a bunch of mature content in there. But what they added were these wraparound scenes where Deadpool is talking to Fred Savage in a recreation of the set from The Princess Bride, Christmas decorations and all. So for me, this counts as another sneaky Christmas movie. Number three. Batman Returns. Well, come what may. Merry Christmas, Mr. Wayne. Merry Christmas, Albert. Goodwill toward men. And women. Now we're in a solid Christmas movie territory. Batman Returns was Michael Keaton's second outing as the Cape Crusader, this time paired with Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman and Danny DeVito as the Penguin. The movie takes place during the Christmas season, even has two Christmas lighting tree ceremonies, neither of which end well, but that's not the point. Danny Elfman returned to do the score for this movie, and so it's another chance to hear his gothic take on Christmas movie that we love in Scrooge and especially Nightmare Before Christmas. Number two. Shazam! Gentlemen! Why use guns when we can handle this like real men? Betty, look out! <laughs> bullet immunity! You have bullet immunity! I'm bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead. I talked about this one on the show when it came out, but this is a fun little movie. As recent DC movies go, it's actually pretty pleasant. Crazy idea, right? Zachary Levi jumped ship from his role in Marvel's Thor films to play the title role. What's cool about this is it's totally a Christmas movie. The main action takes place at Christmas. You've got a trimming the tree scene, a Christmas carnival, all the iconography is there, but there are two flashbacks in the movie. Both of the flashbacks also take place at Christmas time. Honorable mentions! Dick Tracy. I'm looking for generals! What do I got? Foot soldiers! I want Dick Tracy dead! I don't know if this one counts. I saw it on a list of comic book holiday movies because the finale takes place on New Year's Eve, so there has to be some Christmas in there too, right? But it's not on Disney Plus and I can't find my copy, so I didn't double check. My other honorable mention is Jingle All the Way. You can always count on me. This was a suggestion given to me by Dave from the Nostalgia Podcast. Technically, it's not a comic book movie, but it's a movie about a dad trying to get a toy based on a comic book character. However, this is also not on Disney+. Plus. Come on, Disney+. Plus. What am I paying you for? Number one. Iron Man 3. Focus up, ladies. Good evening, and welcome to the birthing suite. I'm pleased to announce the imminent arrival of your bouncing baby brother. Start tightening. Go ahead. Stamp it in time. Mark 42, autonomous prehensile propulsion suit test. Initialize sequence. Jarvis, drop my needle. Dashing through the snow. 
I had to give the number one spot to the MCU. This movie starts with a New Year's Eve flashback and then jumps to Tony Stark putting on his new suit to the tune of Jingle Bells and ends with a Christmas fireworks display of exploding Iron Man suits. Written and directed by Shane Black, who loves to set his movies at Christmas, this is a fave of mine in the MCU. I know a lot of hardcore comic nerds hated the Mandarin twist, but I absolutely loved it, and I thought Ben Kingsley was fantastic. And that's my list. Did I miss any comic book Christmas movies? I doubt it, but you tell me. If you can find one I missed, shoot me an email to christmas at tancast.com. And now it's time to open this sack full of Christmas goodness... No, it's not St. Nick's sack of toys, it's Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you, or tweets, or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. I got a lovely letter from someone who listed their name simply as private person. I respect your anonymity, but I would like to make your letter famous because you wrote, Hey Tim, hope you're doing well and staying safe out there. Hope it's okay that I sent you a random email here. Of course it's okay to send me a random email, especially, well, when you read the rest of this email, of course this is the place to send it. I just watched a movie on your recommendation and I needed to ramble about it to someone. LOL. To take it from the top, I'm a huge Christmas nerd and a big fan of your show. I literally have a set of USB Christmas lights connected to a little tabletop tree here at my desk so I can look at it while I work, with an Android app called Blaze that I can leave on full screen next to the tree for some holiday cheer. And I listen to the podcast on Winamp with the holiday theme. I'm pretty hardcore when it comes to Christmas. LOL. So I've been listening to this year's episodes again. I listened to the March one earlier this week, and you mentioned that your favorite Christmas movie was It's a Wonderful Life. You make it clear that you like the original black and white version more, and I guess I'd only seen the colorized one, so I got the black and white one and watched it with my husband today. It was amazing. I loved how the story kept me guessing at the beginning what was going to be the big tragedy that would send George over the edge. Literally, over the bridge, lol. But by the time he met Clarence, I realized that it really was a combination of all the bad things that had happened to him, the dreams he gave up on and everything. Really relatable, I think. And I loved the happy ending, although I was hoping to see the grumpy old man brought to task for pocketing the money Uncle Billy dropped. Tisk tisk. Me too, sister. I just wanted like a whole sequel just called like Revenge on Mr. Potter. <laughs> anyway, she continues. My husband also pointed out that in the scene when George is holding up a newspaper that announced his brother is getting a medal, you can read the fine print on the front page, and it's just a bunch of random, unrelated newspaper clippings. I guess back in the day, the director never thought anybody would be able to pause a movie, so they just used filler text. <laughs> Let alone watch it from up close like that gave us a good laugh. And I gotta say that my favorite detail was how when Clarence tells George that he no longer existed, they both mentioned how it had suddenly stopped snowing. And then we go out to see his missing car, there's not a single snowflake falling. But then, when George is back at the bridge begging God for help, the police car rolls in, and then it suddenly starts snowing again, signaling that George exists again. I love that. Also, I was amused by how short the credits were. I guess it took a lot less people back then. Anyway, as I said, I just wanted to ramble about how awesome this movie was. Thank you so much for recommending it. I'll be re-watching it for sure. Stay safe out there and keep being awesome. Here's to keeping the holiday spirit going all year long. Well, thank you, private person. Glad I could help somebody rediscover this classic. I have a friend who has never seen it, despite me offering to loan her my copy multiple times. I'm glad you pointed out the snow thing. I've always thought that was odd that somehow George Bailey not being born somehow affected the weather. I'm like, listen, I can understand if he had a big effect on the lives of the people in Bedford Falls, but how did he affect the precipitation? And while they certainly had less people working on movies back in those days, the reason the credits are so much shorter is they just didn't used to give everybody credit. Crazy. But thank you, private person, for your review. 
Now it's time to go to a very specific part of the mailbag, feedback from our last show. Messages from listeners everywhere. Feedback on our last show. So last time I did a top five list of people who should be in the Christmas Hall of Fame. Well, not long after that, Louie on Twitter asked me, can I ask why Santa, the father of Christmas, a.k.a. Father Christmas, was not on this five golden things? Well, Louie, I guess I just didn't think of Santa. If I had a top ten, he would most definitely be on there, if that makes you feel any better. Thanks for tweeting at us, Louie. Oh, and now I've just been handed a late-breaking Christmas bulletin. It's time for All I Want for Christmas is News. That news, baby. Yeah, news. So, as I was getting ready to record this episode, I saw this story. Apparently, the movie Elf is getting its own cereal this year. Yes, the folks from General Mills are making an Elf cereal this year, and it's based on Buddy's famous breakfast scene in the movie. The cereal will have marshmallow Christmas trees to represent the candy and Pop-Tart chunks, and the puffs will be maple syrup flavored to represent when he poured maple syrup all over it. Fortunately, it doesn't look like any part of the cereal will be spaghetti flavored. But if you decide to try it, do write in and let us know how it tastes. And now, a word from one of the other podcasts in the Christmas Podcast Network. Hello, this is Todd from the Christmas Clattered Podcast. One of the great things about Christmas is the busyness of the season, the running around, the decorating, the shopping, the visiting family and friends. But another great thing about Christmas is the chance to unwind, to take a big deep breath and relax away from work and school and everyday life. A great way to rest and relax is to work a puzzle. That's right, a jigsaw puzzle. They've been around for, it seems like, forever. But they're a great way to relax your mind and ease the stress of the holidays. There's nothing better than turning on those classic crooners like Bing and Frank Sinatra, Andy Williams, and being gathered around the kitchen table with your closest friends and your closest family, working a puzzle together. Well, here at Christmas Clatter, we are putting together a Christmas puzzle exchange. This gives you an opportunity to receive and send a Christmas puzzle to one of our great listeners. If you would like to participate in the Christmas Clatter Christmas Puzzle Exchange, please send an email to christmasclatterpodcast at gmail.com. And in the email, please put your name and your address, and please put Christmas Puzzle Exchange in the subject line. Please do this before October 2nd, and together we can all be around our table with our friends and family, working a puzzle together, and making the most of every second of this Christmas season. That email again is christmasclatterpodcast at gmail.com. Happy puzzling, and remember, keep Christmas hope alive every day. Welcome back. So I recently became aware that September is Hunger Awareness Month, so I want to raise awareness in my own small way. There's an old saying that gets trotted out every Christmas, it's better to give than to receive. So today, I want to talk about a very popular way to give around Christmas time, helping those with food insecurity. And when I talk about food insecurity, I'm not just talking about homeless people on the street with nothing. I'm talking about people who have to choose sometimes between paying rent and buying food. Parents who go without food so their kids can eat. One in nine Americans suffer from food insecurity. A good definition of food insecurity that I heard from the organization Feeding America is it's someone who doesn't have reliable access to proper nutrition. 
And at a time like Christmas, when we're all so blessed to come together and enjoy such an extravagant meal, it's natural to want to extend a helping hand to those who aren't as lucky. And a lot of that help comes from food banks, food pantries, and soup kitchens. So I didn't necessarily know the difference between those things, so I decided I'd learn them and share them with you. And if you couldn't tell from my accent, this is an American podcast, so I'll be defining these terms through that lens. So forgive me if you're listening abroad and this terminology doesn't match up correctly for you, because I know they're defined differently depending on where you live. So a food bank is kind of like a warehouse of food that has been donated. The donations are sorted and stored here and then shipped out to a place that can distribute them to those who would need them. A food pantry would be such a place. That's where those in need can come and pick up groceries for free or at a significantly reduced cost, and then take these items home and prepare them themselves. That's the key difference between a food pantry and a soup kitchen, sometimes called a meal center or a food kitchen. A soup kitchen is where someone can go and get a prepared meal. Those images you see of people passing out Christmas dinners, that's a soup kitchen. They got their name because they used to just give out soup, and they really became a major thing during the Great Depression. But eventually, their offerings expanded, but they still stuck with the name soup kitchen. So those are the key places to help, but what are the best ways to help? Perhaps one of the most rewarding would be volunteering. Organizing and distributing food is a big task and takes a lot of Santa's helpers to make it happen. And there are a lot of jobs to do. I know when you think of volunteering, especially at a soup kitchen, you conjure up images of a lunch line at a cafeteria and someone just scooping a ladle full of mashed potatoes onto someone's plate. But that's just one part of it. Someone has to cook that food. And if you're inclined in the kitchen, that could be you. If you're more of an organizational person, all the trays, plates, silverware, that needs to be sorted out and placed. Or if you're a neat freak, the place needs to be cleaned before and after. There's more ways to help. You could greet people. If you're musically inclined, you could perform while folks eat. And then there's food pantries and food banks. They need help sorting and organizing all that food that gets donated so the right food can get to the right folks who need it. The most important thing is to do your research before you go. And that may sound daunting, but it's as simple as calling or emailing your local food bank, food pantry, or soup kitchen and finding out what they need and how you can help. Things I've seen a lot of in the FAQ sections of these places are be on time. Treat volunteering like a job. These places are working on tight budgets and minimal staffing, so if you aren't there when you say you will be, it can really throw a monkey wrench into the gears. Closed-toed shoes. This is one I saw on almost every site I looked at. I'm not sure what's happening when you feed the hungry, but your toes will ruin it, so cover those foot fingers up. One site I saw said something I thought was particularly important in terms of your attitude when you go. They say, leave your pity at the door. Not saying don't be compassionate. The whole reason you've come is because you care about your fellow human beings. But they make an important distinction. Pity is felt towards another person, but compassion is felt with. Now, I don't mean to scare people off from volunteering. It's obviously a great thing to do, and it can be a great way to make a difference. But I can't acknowledge that it's not necessarily something that everyone has the time or ability to do. Fortunately, there are other ways you can help. Another way many people help is by donating food. These places are always grateful for donations of canned goods and other non-perishable food items. However, definitely check with the place you're donating to before you show up. Don't just clean out your cupboard of obscure items that were about to expire anyway. See what the needs of your community program are. I know peanut butter, jelly, canned soup, canned fruit, canned vegetables, canned stew, canned fish, canned beans, pasta, and rice are very popular. But again, check in with your local food bank to see what items they are in need of. You could also organize a food drive. That way you could get multiple people involved. Multiple people equals many times the food donated and many more people helped. I know many offices do this and they make it a competition. They try to see which department can bring in the most food. But now I'm going to completely contradict myself by telling you the third and arguably best way you can help those with food insecurity, cash donations. I know it seems impersonal and less meaningful to just send money, but it really can be the most effective. See, when you donate food, it's great. 
but the odds are you paid full price for that food. But these places that help address food insecurity are able to buy in bulk and at a discount because they are nonprofit charitable organizations. I read that for every $1, they can feed five people. Plus, this allows them to buy exactly what they need. So there are several ways you can help feed those dealing with food insecurity this holiday season. But if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you may have noticed I skipped a segment at the beginning of today's show. So before we leave this discussion of food assistance, let's circle back to the segment we usually start the shows with. We need a little Christmas now. We need a So no one needs a little Christmas now more than those who are struggling to find enough good food to eat. You see, people are often moved to give during the holidays, but hunger happens all year, especially during this pandemic. With so many people unemployed or furloughed, the demand for food assistance has increased by a lot. Not only that, donations are down. Worse, a lot of donations came from excess food from the grocery stores and restaurants. Well, restaurants were closed for a good long while, and the grocery stores were picked bare by panic buying. All this to say that giving your time or your money now is a great way to spread that Christmas cheer in a tangible way. And even in this mask-wearing, social distancing environment, there are ways for you to help. How do I know? My lovely mother just got accepted to be a regular volunteer at the Emergency Food Bank of San Joaquin County. She just had her first day a few days ago, so I thought I would invite her on here to talk about her experience. So, welcome to the Christmas cave, my lovely mother. (laughs) Hi, sweetheart. Hi, Ma. (laughs) (laughs) So, first I want to ask, how did you find out about this place? Well, uh, (laughs) I, uh, um... Back in April, I think it was um, called uh, hashtag Californians for all, and you could volunteer for a lot of stuff. In fact, uh, just this last week, they were looking for people to be virtual contacts for all the fire evacuees and stuff like that. But it was like Santa Cruz, so I couldn't do that. But anyway, (laughs) I also hate to say this out loud, but I was too old for most of the volunteering stuff. Uh, I would be what they consider a high-risk group, so uh, I couldn't volunteer for a lot of stuff. Well, the food bank said, we'll take anybody who's not sick. (laughs) Um, And they were right. Um, um, I definitely had to prove that I wasn't sick, and I had to sign an affidavit that I wasn't sick. And and, um, uh, when I went out there, uh, they gave me a tour of the place, and they were already working. And here's a lady in a wheelchair helping to put food uh, for the people at the food bank. And so it's like, yeah, anybody can do this. So, so, uh, so you're, uh, I guess that leads me directly into like, so what actually did you do when you were there that, you know, that it was safe enough for, you know, someone at a high risk age group, let's say, and yeah. a wheelchair person to be doing in a time of COVID. So what, what actually did you do? It was easy peasy. I mean, it, it was like a Henry Ford assembly line. It was so <laughs> great. Uh, it was complete with shopping carts. And we were all six feet apart. And we all had a mask on and we all had our own food groups to put into the shopping carts. So the lady with the handy, the the lady in the wheelchair, she was in charge of the delicate stuff like eggs and, and easily crushed stuff. And then I was in charge of like cheese and, and dairy products and things like that. Um, and, uh, right next to me was a person that put meat. And then on the other side of me was somebody that put in, it's called farmers to families. It's already a boxed up item and it's got all of the 
prepackaged canned goods, box goods, stuff that would make a full rounded daily meal, you know, with all of the fruits. Well, the fruits and the vegetables, they actually had a garden. So they, hmm. so yeah, there, there was real live produce, but there was, you wouldn't believe it, from soup to nuts, every company volunteered food. I mean, there was some of that stuff. It's like, oh, I wanted to try that. <laughs> <laughs> but, and uh, granted, I did uh, a food bank kind of thing 30 years ago. Uh, actually, when you were in junior high or, or high school or something, you had to do community service. Mm-hmm. I went with you. Yeah I, yeah, I was like, that was an actual like soup kitchen, though, right? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, like, it was yeah, actually yeah, serving people. Yeah, yeah, and it was so antiquated, and everything was kind of starchy food, and people didn't want it anymore, kind of expired stuff. Mm-hmm. All this stuff was really like stuff you get at the regular grocery store and um i remember looking they were they were handing out yogurt and there was this one yogurt thing and it was like pumpkin spice it's like it's that's for the holiday <laughs> season coming up so they already get a preview extra so anyway there was just it was a lot of good food uh, uh, there was a lot of stuff that had to be handed out because it couldn't last more than a day but um, anyway, that's we all had our, our our little space to put into the shopping cart and then push the shopping cart down. Oh, and we all had to wear gloves and a mask, of course. And and it made like a U-turn and went out the gate to the people waiting in the cars for their stuff. So it was it was oh at one time I was I was in charge of pushing the carts out uh, to the gate that was pretty fun I was walking <laughs> it out and the guy goes no no just push it it's heavy push it so and just let it <laughs> sail out the gate it was, <laughs> it was pretty good and there were and there were people there to catch it and and drive it over to the to the cars so, so was there anything that surprised you about the experience. I like again a thousand years ago. I went out there and and I remember them sticking the food bank underneath the freeway because who wants to live or even work underneath a freeway? So they gave this plot of land to the food bank back then. Well, they really, they really souped it up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, because it was under the freeway, all of the food was protected because they, they no sunshine on it, no heat on it, so they could line up the food. And, and as we pushed our shopping carts through, it stayed relatively an even temperature. But I think what really amazed me was the National Guard there. And I said, wow, what are they there for? And they said, oh, that's a mandate in California that the National Guard will help all the all the food banks and all because of everybody that's un- unemployed and needing needing food and you know their families need to eat. So they were they're really I'm I'm assuming to kind of make sure that nobody uh, caused any problems there. But they were working harder than well, as hard as everybody else that was there they were the ones making sure that the carts got unloaded and into the people's car and that the cars were orderly it was like a big u-turn for the cars and they, as they came up they'd put the stuff in the car and wave them off and it was just amazing to see military doing something positive not having to be forced to be the barrier for protesters i mean protesting is i think a very good thing but it's horrible to have people fighting about protesting and and having to call in the national guard to do something bad or oh, not bad you know what i mean <laughs> anyway <laughs> but this was it was really uplifting to see our government working for people in need it was great so 
I, I read that because a lot of a lot of volu- a lot of sh- a lot less volunteers were happening once COVID broke out. There were a lot less volunteers, and so a lot of so that's why the National Guard got brought out for a lot of these food banks. So I assume that had something to do with the California mandate. Oh, oh okay. So my last question to you is: Would you recommend this experience? Oh yeah, especially I know this is sad. It was easy. <laughs> you know, I, I always hesitate to volunteer for things if I can't do it. You know, but it was so easy. And and once you get assigned to a place, you you almost want to be as fast as the person before you, or you know, so you can push the cart. <laughs> so it becomes down competitive to, now. <laughs> well, a little maybe. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, and uh, um, and they they even uh, let me have the box cutters. I was surprised that they would allow me to have that. <laughs> but I was opening cartons like nobody's business. It was great. So, anyway, so fact that it was easy and they appreciated my work. That was fun. So. Well, speaking of appreciated your work, thank you very much for not only coming on the show, but thank you for doing this and oh. you know telling other people about it. Oh, sure, and. Uh, um, like I said, it is fun to volunteer because you can go home at night thinking, well, you know, I actually did help somebody. So, <laughs> And especially this time, everybody should be helping everybody. So the end. So thank you to my mom and all the volunteers and staff across the country and the world. And I encourage you to give what you can. Every little bit helps. I've included some link in the show notes to help you get started finding a food assistance organization near you. Personally, I went with Feeding America, which I believe I mentioned earlier in the show. They are a nationwide network of 200 food banks that coordinate with 60,000 food pantries or food programs around the country. But you can definitely find something in your area if you search for food banks near me on Google or Bing. Hey, did somebody say Bing? No. Well, I mean, yes, alleged ghost of Bing Crosby, but I was talking about the search engine. Don't you think it's a little inappropriate for you to crash in on this segment? Maybe, but this is supposed to be a comedy podcast and you haven't said anything funny in quite a while. Fair enough. And this isn't supposed to be a buzzkill. I hope it didn't come off that way. Giving brings joy to the giver as well as the recipient. So I'm hoping that in addition to giving during the holiday season this year, you can find some times to give the rest of the year too. Get some of that joy of giving throughout the year. And now it's time for the next installment of our made-for-podcast Christmas movie, A Bomb for Christmas. Yes, this is the movie we're making all this year that asks the question, what if Die Hard was a Hallmark movie? I've been writing it, the listeners have been voicing it, and it's time for Chapter 5. But before we start, I must strongly recommend that if you haven't heard the first four chapters of this story... Go back and listen to them before you continue. I could do a recap and catch you up to speed, but you will appreciate it so much more if you listen to the first four chapters first. Chapter one was in our April episode. Chapter two was in June. Chapter three was in July. And chapter four was last month in August. So make sure you've heard those before you hear what's next. Okay? Did you go back and listen? Okay. You're on the honor system. Let's now return to where we left Holly and Bobby last time in chapter five of... A bomb for Christmas. Interior, festival security room, day. Holly sits at a bank of security monitors and Bobby stands behind her with a gun pointed at the back of her head. Get up. Nice and slow. Holly slowly starts to rise, then suddenly kicks the desk in front of her, sending her and her chair slamming into Bobby. The gun flies out of Bobby's hand as he stumbles back into the wall. Holly spins around, catches the gun in midair, and levels it at Bobby. Gotta say, this is not your best Christmas present, Bobby. Holly? 
What are you doing here? What am I doing here? What are you doing here? And why are you pointing guns at me? I didn't know that was you. And, in fairness, it was just one gun, not multiple guns. Does now seem like the time? I'm sorry. I'm a little freaked out here. This may be an average day for you, but this is a pretty crazy day for me. You've had a crazy day. I've been locked in a building, had to fight off a bunch of reject Bond villains, and then my husband pulls a gun on me. Okay. So we're having pretty similar days. Where's the bomb? Bomb? There's a bomb? Where? That's what I just asked you. How would I know? I just managed to escape a few minutes ago. Escape? So you're telling me that you're not a part of this? Part of this? Why would I be part of this? I'm asking myself the same thing. This seems like a pretty extreme reaction to me coming home late a few times. A few? Not the point, Bobby. You're right. I'm sorry. Again, pretty freaked out over here. Holly sighs, tucks the gun in her waistband, and reaches out a hand to help Bobby up. Let's start this over. How'd you end up in here? It all started right after we kicked off the festival. The screen ripples and dissolves to exterior Port Caldwell Square day. We see the scene from earlier where Bobby George and Mayor DeLeo have just cut the ribbon to open the festival. The excited festival goers file in while the mayor, George, and Bobby stand off to the side. Everything looks great this year, fellas. Thank you, Mayor. I'm pretty proud of what we put together this year. My only worry is how we're going to top it next year. Well, let's hold off worrying about next year. We're less than two minutes into this year's festival. Right you are, Bobby. Well, I'm sure you have a lot to do, so I'll leave you to it. And I'll go get some of Betty's hot cocoa. Actually, I'll join you. I want to make sure she's all set for the gingerbread house decorating contest. And I'm going to... Bobby is interrupted by his phone ringing. Answer this call, apparently. Mayor and George walk away as Bobby puts his phone to his ear and a mysterious Russian voice crackles through the speaker. Hello, old friend. Congratulations. You have done your job so well. Uh, thanks? Pretty proud of this little festival you have put together, aren't you? I, I guess so. Soon, you will feel what it is like when something you care about so much is taken from you. Who is this? I am hurt, Bobby. Have you not received my letters? Are you saying you're the one who keeps sending those Russian notes to us? And you never write back. I don't speak Russian. Nobody in the office speaks Russian. <laughs> that is where you are wrong, Bobby. I speak Russian. And I am in your office right now. And if you value the safety of everyone at this festival, you had better get over here now. Come alone. Dasvidaniya. The screen ripples to exterior Port Caldwell Street's day. Bobby runs through the streets towards the office while he narrates the flashback. So I got over there as fast as I could. Interior Festival Office Entrance Day. Bobby enters. His voice continues to narrate the scene. But when I got there, it seemed like the place was abandoned. A figure steps out from the shadows behind Bobby and conks him on the head. Oh. As he falls to the floor, the screen goes black. Fade in on Interior Festival Meeting Room. Bobby is tied to a chair. He slowly wakes up. Next thing I knew, I was tied up in one of our meeting rooms. Fortunately... I learned from you how to stay cool in any situation. Bobby is freaking out of the chair. He's wiggling and straining against the ropes and tape. Then, I executed a cunning escape plan. The chair tips over and breaks, oh. and Bobby is free. You freaked out, fell over, and the chair broke. <sighs> I freaked out, fell over, and the chair broke. Interior. Festival office day. 
Bobby walks down the hallway looking around nervously. He steps back into a closet as he hears Victor's voice in front of him. There is no point in hiding, Detective. We've reactivated the building's security cameras. We can see everywhere you go. Bobby looks up at the security cameras and present-day Bobby continues to narrate the scene. I knew if I wanted to get out of here, I had to stay out of range of the cameras. But I didn't know why he was calling me Detective. He was talking to me. Right. That makes way more sense. Anyway... I waited in the closet for a while until some other guy came. Ivan walks down the hall. And after a while, the other two of them walked back the other direction. Ivan helps a limping Victor back down the hall. After they pass, Bobby steps out of the closet. So I took my chance to get out of there. Bobby keeps his back flat against the wall as he inches down the hallway, keeping his eye on the security camera in the ceiling. He steps on a piece of broken glass that crunches loudly under his foot. He looks down the hall and leaps into the open door of a nearby office before Ivan and Victor poke their heads around the corner. They see nothing, turn to each other, shrug, and continue the way they were going. Inside the office, Bobby finds a gun on the floor and picks it up. The screen ripples again, and we dissolve back to Interior Festival Office Security Room Day. Bobby points to the gun in Holly's waistband. So I grabbed that and headed for the front door. But then it was locked. I decided to go over the security room to see if I could unlock it from here. Holly pulls the gun from her waistband and looks at it. Okay, see if you can unlock the doors. When you get out of here, get Chief Beebe to send the, well, whatever the Port Caldwell equivalent of a bomb squad is. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, turns out your pen pal is the guy I've been hunting down for the past few weeks. He hired a guy to build him a bomb, and apparently that bomb is somewhere in this building. Wait. Why wouldn't you tell Chief Beebe? I'm not leaving till I find that bomb. Then I'm staying with you. Bobby, don't be ridiculous. It's dangerous here. You're staying? It's my job. No. Your job is a long ferry ride away, back in Seattle. You're staying because it's not you to give up. Because it's the right thing to do, and somebody's gotta do it. Well, somebody doesn't have to do it alone. What's the point of having a husband if he won't help you find a bomb in a locked building on Christmas Eve? Bobby. Besides, this is going to be a great Christmas story we can tell for years. I don't know. Being trapped in a building with a bomb and a bunch of bad guys on Christmas Eve doesn't sound like a very Christmassy story to me. They both turn and literally wink at the camera, then back to each other. Bobby, I... Before she can finish, Victor storms in the room, Ah! knocking Holly against the monitors, the gun falling to the floor. Bobby grabs Victor, but Victor flips him over and throws him to the ground. (laughs) Holly starts to lunge at Victor, but he picks up the gun from the floor. That's enough. Let's not make this messy. By all means, let's make this messy. Holly starts walking towards Victor. I'm warning you! Holly continues walking. Not one more step! Holly continues walking. Holly, what are you doing? You asked for it! Victor pulls the trigger, but nothing happens. Bet you wish you hadn't shot at my phone so many times now, huh, Boris? It's Vic! Before he can finish, Holly punches him in the face. He falls into the security monitors and is electrocuted. <laughs> Interior Festival Office Hallways, Day. Holly and Bobby are walking briskly down the hallway. As they talk, they are poking their heads in each doorway they pass and looking for the bomb. I can't believe you walked straight up to that guy when he had a gun on you. I knew he didn't have any bullets. How? The gun you found was the one he tried to use on me earlier. I already saw him waste all of his bullets. Remind me never to complain about how hard you work again. Why didn't you tell me about the Russian letters? I mean, Holly, you're pretty busy. I wasn't going to come to you with this. I'm sorry. I know I work too much. No, I don't mean it like that. I would never ask you to apologize for your job. I mean, yes, I get a little jealous sometimes, but I know how important what you do is. Moreover, I know you're great at it. Hence, we are freely walking around this building 
even after some goon jumped us. Still, maybe the captain is right. I could stand to have a little more balance in my life. Sneaking around the Christmas festival office is somehow the most Christmassy thing I've done this year. Well, when we get out of here, there's still some Christmas left. What I don't get is, why are these Russians targeting the Christmas festival? I think it might have something to do with McCringleberry. The notes started coming in when I started talking with him. Speaking of McCringleberry, when were you going to tell me that you guys bought a restaurant together? How do you know about that? I found the papers in your office. Well, I guess you can't expect a surprise a master detective. Buying a whole restaurant in Seattle right before Christmas is your idea of a surprise? Well, when you put it like that, it sounds irresponsible. But the Highmarks Tavern is doing great. I mean, good enough we were able to sponsor the festival this year. When I reached out to McCringleberry about doing the tree lighting, we got to talking about how he wanted to open a sports bar in Seattle so he could have something to do when his football days are over. So basically, he'll be the face of the place, which will be sure to bring in lots of business, and I'll run the business end since I know how to run a sports bar. Will you have time? I've got a great team at the Highmarks. They have pretty much been running things without me while I've been working on the festival, and they are aching to step up and do more. So I'll step back a bit and let them step up while I launch my Kringleberries. Plus, I'll get to spend more time in Seattle, so I thought I'd get to see you more. The place we bought is just a couple blocks from the station. Wait a second. Is this the room you were tied up in? Holly and Bobby walk into the meeting room with a broken chair and ropes on the floor, and a Christmas present sitting in the center of the conference table. Yep, this is the place. What's with the present? I don't know. Holly looks at the tag. It's for you, and it's from Alana. Speaking of Alana, with as much as we're paying her to provide security for the festival, I feel like her people should have caught this. Holly straightens up and her eyes widen. A series of flashbacks to previous scenes flash across the screen. I am in your office right now. Guess the North Pole got a little behind and had to punt this year. Bobby, convince Joe McCringleberry to come back to do our tree lighting. Some people take their sports way too seriously. McCringleberry, punt. Everyone gets what's coming to them on Christmas Eve. You start chasing me. So I had to follow you home. I know what it's like when you care so much about something and it's taken from you. You know that restaurant a couple blocks from the station that closed a few months back? It can drive you nuts. Apparently, the owner had bet against Seattle and lost big time. The place we bought is just a couple blocks from the station. It can drive you nuts. You will feel what it is like when something you care about so much is taken from you. Taken from you? Taken from you. Taken from you. Holly looks down at the present and then over at Bobby. Bobby, get down! Holly jumps towards Bobby and the screen cuts to black as we hear... Fade into exterior festival marketplace day. Alana looks at her watch and pulls out her phone. However, when she speaks... It's in the Russian voice we've been hearing. Phase one is complete. Commence phase two. End act five. Cut to commercial. This section of A Bomb for Christmas featured music from Kevin MacLeod and sounds from various sources, all licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. For more information, check the show notes of this episode. And you thought I ended on a cliffhanger last time! I want to send a special thank you to the cast, Jeffrey as Russian voice, Mysterious Andy as Victor, and then thanks to the flashbacks, we heard Mignon Fogarty as the mayor, Mike Westfall as Captain Willis, Emily as Alana, Kristen as Tracy, Edward as George, but an extra big thank you to Brendan as Bobby and my lovely wife Holly, as it was mostly those two for this whole chapter. They had to carry the bulk of it this time, and not only did they carry it, they elevated it.
Also, I want to give a special shout out to Emily, who had to keep the secret all this time that she was the bad guy. She was the only person I knew. And her husband plays Bobby, so she didn't even tell her husband that she was the bad guy. That is dedication. Thank you, Emily. (laughs) Join us again in October to find out what happened next in A Bomb for Christmas. And that's our show. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out those links in the show notes to see how you can help folks with food insecurity. And also, there's a new Christmas podcast out there called The Christmas Podcasts Podcast. It's a podcast that talks about other Christmas podcasts because there's enough Christmas podcasts that we needed a separate Christmas podcast to keep track of the Christmas podcast. Anyway, the host, Sean, was nice enough to invite me on for a conversation about this show. So if you enjoy hearing my gums flap, check out the link in the show notes. Okay, that's all for this episode. Stay jolly, and more importantly, stay safe out there. And until next time, you believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2020. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! Hey, Ma. Hey. I love you. I love you too, you sweetheart. (laughs) Now it's on the podcast forever. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ma. Bye. (laughs) So we're kind of stretching like we're Elastigirl. I should say, I should stick with Mr. Fantastic. As much as I love Elastigirl... Mr. Fantastic was actually in a comic book, whereas Mrs. Incredible, excuse me, Elastigirl only appeared in the movies originally. That's where she originated. Even though this alternate cut of Dead, even though this alternate cut of Deadpool, even though this alternate cut of Deadpool 2 was edited, whew, even though this alternate cut of Deadpool 2 was edited to make it look, <sighs> Tim, Tim, come on. You got a lot of show to go. You're doing a lot of messing up. Let's pull it together, buddy. Pull it together! Apparently the movie... Apparently the movie Elf is getting its own... Ha! Cri- <laughs> so-
so was there anything that surprised you about the experience? You know, it really surprised me when I first... When I went, boo! <laughs> <laughs> Timothy. <laughs> Do that over. That was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweetheart, that was good. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. Oh.